Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. What do you see when you look at the cross? If you start looking for them, crosses are everywhere. We wear the cross, we decorate with it, we put crosses on jewelry, on clothing, buildings, flags. The cross is everywhere and everything. It is ubiquitous. This was not the same in the early church. As historian Robert Louis Wilkin points out, when you look at the earliest Christian art, first in the catacombs of Rome, you won't find, he says, any depiction of the crucifixion. It was apparently too degrading to be pictured in Roman society. In fact, Wilkin points out that the earliest known depiction of Christ on the cross is from the middle of the 5th century. Today, I think we can begin to see why. After reenacting Christ's passion and crucifixion, I think we can appreciate the hesitancy, the reticence of the early church to depict the cross. Because for us, the cross has become familiar. It's a symbol that we know well, a story we've heard a thousand times, and it's become less shocking less awful. The early church was too experienced with crucifixion to fall into this complacency. For early Christians, the cross was not just a symbol, a metaphor. It was a known reality. They saw crucifixions. They saw the cross then as an instrument of torture, a tool of death used by the state to reinforce its authority. The cross was violent, it was shameful. So it's not surprising that we only see artistic depictions of it several generations after the newly converted Constantine banned crucifixion. Only then were they not part of living memory. Thousands of years later, we have to try to look at the cross as if for the first time. We have to ask, what do we see? What do we see when we look at the cross? Our readings today invite us to be astonished at what we see. The prophet writes, kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard, they understand. What should should astonish us? I want us today to look at the cross to see two things. First, we see the truth about ourselves. When we see the cross, one of our first impulses is to shift blame We'd like to blame others. Those who rejected Christ, those who betrayed him, which of course 
doesn't include the faithful like us. This blame shifting takes particularly awful forms in the history of Christian anti-Semitism, but I think it's an impulse that we all share, even if it's in milder forms. This, this is someone else's fault. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As the prophet reminds us, it was our sin. And what's more, it was us. Because another way we let ourselves off the hook is to distance ourselves from our sin. Sure, Christ suffered for our sin, but we weren't the ones who did this. We weren't the ones who crucified him. Again, not according to the prophet. We esteemed him not. As part of sinful humanity, we despised him. We rejected him. Our liturgy pushes us to recognize this by putting the crowd's words in our mouths. It's uncomfortable to say, but we are the ones who shout, crucify him. We were in the crowd. On Good Friday, the cross of Christ shows us the truth about our sin. We see that we are much worse than we thought. We are not innocent. This is a point that has hit home for me through reading the great Anglican poet W.H. Auden with the Brazos Fellows. Auden wrote a series of poems, Hore Canonicae, that go through the canonical hours, the hours a monk prays, set on Good Friday. In the third poem, Auden discusses our vocations, the very things that make us human, our work, our creativity, our social life, our ability to reason, to choose, to craft, to pronounce, all of them lead to the moment, afternoon, on that hill outside Jerusalem. Human culture, human work, human social life, these all make possible this death. What do we do with God's gifts? What do we do with our ingenuity, our reason, our creativity? This is what we do. In the middle poem, set in the heat of the afternoon, Auden reflects on how everything looks different after this death. This mutilated flesh, our victim, explains too nakedly, too well, the spell of the asparagus garden, the aim of our chalk pit game. Stamps, bird's eggs, are not the same. Behind the wonder of towpaths and sunken lanes, behind the rapture on the spiral stair, we shall always now be aware of the deed into which they lead. Under the mock chase and mock capture, the racing and tussling and splashing, the panting and the laughter, be listening for the cry and stillness to follow after. Wherever the sun shines, 
brooks run, books are written, there will also be this death. Even the most innocent-seeming things about us, our past times, our play, seem sinister now. We caught our victim and killed him. When we see this clearly, all we can do is utter with the psalmist, My sins have taken such hold of me that I am not able to look up. Indeed, they are more in number than the hairs of my head, and my heart has utterly failed me. An apt psalm to return to this afternoon. We can't look for long at this most naked, most violent manifestation of our guilt. We can't look up. Our heart fails. We'd rather look away. We'd rather, as Auden writes, take a siesta, try and forget what we've done. Because when we look at the cross, we see something awful. We see the truth about ourselves. And the truth is this. The worst thing that could ever happen has happened. And we did it. But when we look at the cross, we also see the truth about God. And we have to remember just how unexpected this is. If we were writing the script, maybe we would have thought of a plot where God comes on a divine rescue mission, but we would have made it thrilling glorious, with an amazing soundtrack. Christ triumphs over Rome's imperial armies. Christ routs our enemies. Think of the battle cries, the victory toasts, the speeches. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All of our notions, our preconceived ideas about what this salvation might look like are undone when we look at the cross. This is not the story we would have come up with. What does it mean for God to save? What does it mean for God's power to rescue? What does God's glory look like? Christ crucified. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As St. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, the cross is a stumbling block, is foolishness, because in it we see God dying on an instrument of torture. And that is precisely where we see most clearly God's power. This is what true power looks like. And what a surprise. God could have saved us any other way. He could have saved from afar, could have remained comfortably aloof from our sin and suffering, could have patched us up without getting his hands dirty. But he didn't. He took on our flesh 
took on all the strangeness and suffering of human existence and let us kill him. This is the astonishing thing. The one who bore our griefs, who carried our sorrows and iniquities, the one who, as the prophet writes, was smitten by God, was himself fully God. As Auden notices in his poems, the only miracle that takes place on Good Friday is that everyone gets what they want. It's the only time in history when everyone, the crowd, the authorities, Satan, God the Father, all want the same thing. Even the disciples who would not have said they wanted their master to die in fact, want the salvation that will only come through this death. Everyone wants this crucifixion for very different reasons, and everyone gets what they want. Of course, God could have saved us in a less costly way, but he walked up a hill and let himself be nailed to an instrument of torture. He plumbed the depths of human sin and suffering. He died as much as you can die out of love. The worst thing to ever happen, the thing we did, turns out through God's marvelous providence to be for our great good. The day on which we do our very worst is the day on which God saves us. This is why we can call this worst of all Fridays good. When we look at the cross, we see the perfect expression of God's character. And although we could have never expected this kind of salvation, now that we see it, we see that nothing could have been more fitting. It's so like God to do it this way. Nothing else could have shown more clearly his love. Nothing else could have shown more clearly his power, his glory. Our invitation today on Good Friday is not to look away. Look at the cross. See what it shows about yourself See what you have done to your Lord. And with the psalmist pray, I am not able to look up. My heart has utterly failed me. And then look again at the cross. See what it shows us about God. See what your Lord has done for you. And with the psalmist pray, O Lord, my God, great are the wondrous works which you have done, and also your thoughts toward us. There is none who can be compared with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.